Okay. Well, that's the end of the uh, England-Panama game. I said 5-0 yesterday. I was right at half-time. Uh, just wrong uh, at the end of the game. But uh, a lovely performance from England against uh, a Panama side who, it seemed, by the reaction of the crowd, were very pleased to get their first-ever World Cup goal. So that was a nice moment also. First, Alex, I want to ask you about Gareth Southgate. We've just uh, we waited to record this until after we uh, watched his interview and some of the interviews of the players as well. Um, and I want to ask you about Gareth Southgate and his uh, sort of ability as a manager because, as it stands, uh, he looks to be doing a very impressive job. However, his role, certainly from the English media, is going to be under inspection, under the microscope, much more so than than any other, and certainly. Uh, in a more constrained time period than uh, across a Premier League season. So it's quite difficult, in a way, I suppose, to appraise how he's doing. Um, he seemed very calm in that interview there. He, 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 he you know, sort of half-jokingly suggested that he wasn't very happy at uh, the beginning or at the end of the game, but happy with what happened in the middle. How do you uh, appraise his, his job so far, and uh, is there anything in particular that you the like that you've seen from him? I like everything that I've seen from him, mm-hmm. really. Um so I think there are various aspects to look at when you're going into a World Cup. The first thing is the squad selection. Yeah. Um, I think England have got depth across all the positions in that squad. There's not really any... Yeah, we were talking before about um, who in the Belgium squad can play left-wing back apart from Carrasco, who in mm. the Germany squad can play right-back other than Joshua Kimmich. Mm. England don't have those issues, no. so that's a big tick for the first instance. Even with an injured Deli Alley, even with even with an injured Deli Alley, Loftus Cheek comes in and does well. So, second thing is tactically, there is a clear system in place that that interchange of players doesn't affect that system particularly. They still do the same things well, so mm. that's a big tick in mm-hmm. that there's a clear, coherent tactical identity. He's working on the little things. I say little, but set pieces here. I mean that that fourth goal, that set piece was just that's my favourite goal of the World Cup mm-hmm. of all of them. Because there is a clear and methodical, intelligent plan mm. with that goal. Um even so far as the follow up, <clears throat> I mean, you know, the, it, it seems as though Gareth Southgate may have Preempted the fact that Raheem Sterling would be under pressure and not not be able to score the goal, so John Stones is coming in but as it, if by magic just behind him to finish it off. Stones was in the the, the Kane position for Kane's goals against Tunisia, mm. so always having a guy following in at the back post. But and we talked about in, that after pr- the last game them swapping Kane around with Maguire or Stones, didn't we? So that the not make it too obvious for the yeah. Panama players. We 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 did we did say that. Um, I think that that little inside ball to Henderson to chip it through, you know, these are the things where you would expect a side either to kind of lump it in or to take a direct shot. Mm. Uh, And there's an inventiveness there on set pieces. And we've talked consistently in this podcast about how in a tight tournament, it's the small things that make a difference. And, you know, an extra couple of hours here and there spent on set pieces, that's yielded a load of goals for England here. Mm. You know, it's, it's still only one goal from open play mm. of the eight that have been scored. Mm. So, well, I know actually that that's two now, isn't it? Because that cane kind of flick over. 30. Oh, sure, yeah. But it's, it's a very, very small percentage of goals from open play. Mm. Um, and all of those set piece goals have been the result of of intelligent movement in the box Mm -hmm. rather than 
just you know having a guy that crashes through onto a well whipped ball and scoring a header. Mm. So I think that's really impressive. I think the in-game management, this is my last point, Mm -hmm. (laughs) before you drift away. No, no, I'm not drifting. Um, The (laughs) in-game management is impressive as well. Mm -hmm. So I think all of the substitutions have made sense up to this point. Uh, And I think the the changes, particularly against Tunisia, of working the ball higher up the pitch, seeking to retain possession, there's... We've not seen any of that, and, and this is much more the case against Tunisia than against Panama, but at no point did we see what Germany resorted to against Mexico, for example, of, yeah. of lumping long balls in. No. We've not seen the sort of France approach of, well, let's try and just get it to the front three and something will happen. Mm. We, we've seen a clear sense of progression up the pitch, of controlling the tempo of the game, controlling possession waiting for the correct opportunity, players moving around. You know, we saw Ashley Young dropping in between the two centre-backs to act as a passing option before moving back into his position. Mm. Trippier moving up and down vertically on that side. Loftus-Cheek making those lovely angled runs in or out from the half-space. So, you know, this this is a team who all know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, and... For my mind, particularly when you're dealing with a young squad, mm. fairly inexperienced squad, um, the credit for that has to go to Southgate and and Steve Holland as well, yeah. the coach. Well, let me ask you this. But I think you I think you mentioned this yesterday, and we've heard Gareth Southgate say this as well. Um, examining the Germany team from four years ago, how many? Uh, not only how many of their goals they scored from set pieces, but also how few they conceded from set pieces, and they made a real effort to make sure that defensively at set pieces they were solid. Gareth Southgate seems to have mimicked that with the, the England squad of this year. Um, and, it's, and, and I wonder whether this is unfair and whether this is this sort of sentiment is based on uh, the, the perception of Gareth Southgate as a manager who, who hasn't had a big Premier League job, who is quite young still, who in comparison to other names who are being touted around, including you know, in particular Sam Allardyce who had the job before him, hasn't had, doesn't have the same level of experience, but he seems so well prepared that doing things like like that example of going back and examining the minutiae of, of what worked out four years ago is something that I can't imagine Sam Allardyce doing. Now, is that unfair of me, and is that sort of is that embellished by, as I said, that perception of Gareth Southgate as, as well? He's young and inexperienced, but he's very well well prepared. He's methodical. This is this is how we view him. Or is it is it unfair to say that Sam Allardyce wouldn't have done that? I don't know what Sam Allardyce would or wouldn't have done. Um, I do think that Southgate's long-term involvement with the England team mm. means that a lot of these players have come through an England system that for the first time had a coherent sense of the way they wanted to play. Mm. So now that that way of playing did not involve three at the back. Um, but in terms of movement, possession, pressing, that's the the, the so-called England DNA, and Southgate mm. was was integral to um, the the creation of that and the proliferation of that through the various age levels at England. Mm. Um, I think what that means is that players already know, particularly if they're players who have come through the various age groups within the England system. They know what the overall style of football they want to play is. So it could be argued that it's less of a stretch to go from whatever their club side plays Mm. to the England 
system because they're already quite familiar with it because it's what England's been doing for several years. Yeah. The time that you therefore don't have to spend coaching elements of that system... And you could just coach set pieces, for example. You can then put into coaching something else. Mm -hmm. Exactly that. Okay, well, in his interview after the game, Gareth uh, talked about um, the changes he made as well. You mentioned them there. One of the reasons he cited for making a couple of those changes was because there were you know tackles flying in around the pitch and he wanted to avoid any injuries to key players, which is something I hadn't considered when the changes were actually being made. But the you know the point was put to him and the point was put to the pundits on the BBC as well. Uh, the Belgium game's coming up Thursday night. Roberto Martinez, we've already heard from him that he's going to be making wholesale changes. Uh, Rumour has it he'll be resting Lukaku, Azar, potentially De Bruyne. Um, put yourself in Gareth Southgate's situation now because there are two you know quite good arguments on either side of this. What would you do? Would you, you know, would you try and keep the team largely the same? Maybe make a couple of changes, but hope for momentum and you know winning the game and keeping things rolling because it's very important. Or as Rio Ferdinand said, which I think is also a very valid point, fatigue is a, is a, can be a huge issue in tournaments like this. The players have just spent ninety minutes playing in thirty degree plus heat. What would you do? It was really interesting to hear that that question phrased just after we were having exactly that same conversation mm. and to hear Shearer and Ferdinand both make entirely coherent arguments for completely opposite views. Mm. Um, I, my personal feeling would be to side more with Shearer. Mm-hmm. I think that, yes, while the games do kind of come thick and fast... Because it's this England squad, and yeah. because there is uh, there is depth, there is flexibility. I I don't see an injury to one of these players, except Harry Kane, mm. uh, possibly on current form, Jordan Henderson. Yeah, I don't see that having <clears throat> as much of an impact as an injury to De Bruyne would be for Belgium. Or 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 for example, a sort of. Stunted 1-0 loss to Belgium, taking the wind out of England's sails, for example. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, this is a young team who are playing full of confidence and all of those horrific, mindless cliches. And many of the teams that that we can meet in in, in the qualifying, beyond the qualifying stages, um, sorry, beyond the the group stages, will be in exactly the same situation. Many of those teams won't have had the opportunity to rest players, so everyone's tired. Yeah, I I think that's part of it. But I, I think what I was saying is, with... We, we don't yet really know how this team would face adversity mm. and how they would face um, the scrutiny that comes with, uh, I, I don't want to say failure because losing to Belgium would not be a failure by any stretch of the imagination. But my general sense is that, you know, you look at the, look at the post-match interview with Jesse Lingard, mm. right? He is bursting with enthusiasm at the moment. Yeah. You want to keep him on the pitch. You yeah. want to make sure. Yes, he's crucial to the way England play. Yes, that goal was was delightful. But I would rather give him another ninety minutes mm. with the faint risk of him getting injured. Mm. You know, Belgium are not a Panama. They're not going to try and kick the shit out of England. No. Um, rather than lose that energy and that enthusiasm, and and possibly have a couple of players thinking, oh, hang on a second, you know, yeah. this this is their big moment, isn't yeah. it? They want to all be out there. Well, also, I think Bel- Belgium an have played uh, of of all the teams we've seen, arguably better than all 
you know, perhaps put England on the same part. If the England team can go and beat Belgium, however they shape up, that's going to give them confidence to think, well, we can beat anyone in this World Cup. We can beat Belgium, yeah, who've well, so far been the best team. You and I disagree slightly on that, because I think that, that Belgium and England's performances, while excellent, do need to be put into the context of who they're playing against. Sure. But, um, but perceptually... Yes, I, I think in I think within that context, I think it does make a difference. I, look, I I think anybody who suggests that it's worth losing a game where really you're you're you know you're going to play what seven at a maximum, mm. losing one of those in the run up is worth the potential risk or fatigue or injury. I, I don't see that. I would. What rather... about winning it with the second side? <laughs> would that, would well, that add well, to that's, the... that's the the flip side to it. Is, Jamie, but Jamie Vardy hat trick is are they good enough to go and beat a, a you know a, a Belgian side that will clearly if if you're Martinez mm. you would you would want to protect Lukaku, Hazard, and De Bruyne. Yeah, you'd also probably want to protect um, either one of Alderweireld or Vertonghen. Mm. Um, now, I think it's interesting there because I I think I think Martinez doing that would be a massive error mm. because I don't think the result to England would matter so much. Mm. But there are well reported and well substantiated reports that that you know people are not entirely happy with Martinez. Mm. If you're a De Bruyne or a Hazard, are you going to take all that well to being dropped for a game? Yeah. Particularly a game against England, you know, this is this is one of those games where those those players are playing each other regularly in the Premier League. There's there's an extra kind of element to that game. It's not like it's a dead rubber at the end of mm. uh, you know where you, you you've qualified already. It's fine. You're playing Panama next. You you don't want to get the shit kicked out of you. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, fine. Okay, I'll rest that one. This is against a team who are. <laughs> This is against a team who are in your bracket mm. for sure, and whose players you're playing against week in week out in the Premier League, mm-hmm. and it's to decide who goes top of the group. Yeah, like that's an important game. Yeah, and so if I were De Bruyne and I was being dropped for that game, yeah, I would think, yeah, you don't know what you're doing. Okay, well, from the England uh, England lineup today, um, most impressive performance for you? Who stood out? Who did you enjoy watching? Uh, really enjoyed watching Lingard. Yeah. Um, I thought Henderson once again, absolutely superb um, control of tempo. Yeah. Uh, Stones, I thought, obviously took his chances very well. Um, Loftus Cheek slotted in without any problems, mm. and Kieran Trippier once again was yeah. was superb. But yeah. it, I that that's not a. Perf- I mean, it's difficult because it's Panama, isn't it? But. There's no, there's no one player on the pitch where you'd look at it and go, they weren't up to par. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Really. Okay. It, was, it was only a very good save that present, prevented Sterling from getting a goal. Yeah. Philippe, um, Alex refuses to let us say that it's coming home, but uh, is it coming home? It's but the best opportunity there's been for a very long time, certainly. Yeah. Um, I think when you've got a situation when German newspapers are saying this is this is how we should be playing, yeah. then that's that's pretty telling, I think. So I'm not going to go that far either, but I'd, I'd say definitely it's, the, it's the, the best chance we've had yeah, yeah. for a long time. Did you, you, so presumably you enjoyed today's game. What, what stood out for you? 
Um, just more the kind of uh, the vibrancy and actually that uh, they were they seemed just a bit more ruthless as mm -hmm. well. I found. I mean, I think obviously there was a few penalties in there as well, which I massively enjoyed because they were brilliant penalties. Mm. But it was um, that they they looked like a bit they looked a bit sharper basically, yeah. and, and essentially a little bit more kind of match fit. Probably like after having already played one game, you can see already I think the effects from the Tunisia game where they had there's a little bit more. Yeah. Trouble in getting that lead, um, I think that probably fed into that performance as well, mm. and that shows, like shows a, how important that 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 aside from the three points, how important that win was. Yeah, and they look like a team as yeah, well, absolutely. don't they? Which um, is something unusual for an England side, maybe. They all have nicknames, which I like. Right, I think, that, I think that's. Uh, I'm possibly reading too much into that, but it's. Um, <laughs> I always think, and I think it kind of. It, it speaks of unity. Yeah, you've got your trips there. You got your H. I think is Harry Kane. <laughs> Um, good job it's not more complex for Harry isn't it <laughs> I was going to ask you about Harry Kane he scored his, uh, his hat-trick today uh, not well as far as hat-tricks go not one uh, for the memories other than it, the, the, the occasion I would it, was, say. it was a shithouse hat-trick it was a shithouse hat-trick but, but we say that but then two penalties of the highest quality Yes, they and, really were and good. Put in exactly the same place. Exactly as well. the same spot. I mean, I think Alan Shearer said all, all we could say about those. Uh, the third goal, of course, was uh, he kind of nicks it off uh, Ruben Loftus cheek. But as Gary Lineker would say, I'm not sure he did say it today, but he says it several times throughout the season on match of the day. Uh, when you're in form like that, you know they just go and off you. Yes, I've, five I've... goals, top scorer, Golden Boot. I why, mean, Tom, Thomas, Thomas Muller scored five goals four years ago. Yeah, and. That was good. <laughs> yes, yes, that that was good. But I mean, five goals in a World Cup is considered a, a, a great achievement, and well, it's come after two games. Yeah, and I and I think you have to with with VAR and the preponderance of penalties, and Kane being so good at taking penalties, you've, yeah. you've got to see that as a you know England are going to get another one or two penalties in this tournament, mm. surely. Mm. Um, one or two a game, mate. So, <laughs> so presumably Kane will, will score those. Mm. Um, also, you know there is that threat around set pieces. He's really good in the air, and, the, and yes, like like we did point out, you know there's a kind of an interchange there. Um, so he may not always be the one that's moving into that final position, but mm. at the same time, it's difficult to see him not getting opportunities from that. Yeah. But actually, you know, a lot of what he's doing is the the link-up play and the, he, he dropped very the deep running today. off the ball to create the space, particularly for Lingard, for Sterling, even for Loftus Cheek pushing up. You know, well, at times when they were defending in the second half, um, Kane was sort of leading the the pressing attack, and Sterling was drifting up very high. Yeah. Um, you know, ten fifteen yards ahead of Kane. Yeah. Well, Sterling's even quicker, and mm. so it does make sense to leave him up as the man on the break. And th this, to me, is the sort of of aspect that you want to see from a captain in terms of yes he's he's a centre forward and he is one of the world's best centre forwards mm. but he's not goal hanging he's not just positioning himself so that he can maximise his own output he is doing what is required by the team yeah, and that is dropping off and that's making movements off the ball and he does it at Spurs a lot yeah. you know a lot of his work at Spurs is about moving across the the penalty box to create space for the other players to run into mm. um, or for him then to be in a position to receive the ball out wide and cut back inside so you know he is that striker already mm -hmm. um, and he's doing it here and it, it there's there's something about the way that 
Southgate has been quite clever at taking elements of players' games from what they do for their club teams and fitting that into a kind of matrix that works for the England setup. Mm. So Kane is not playing dissimilarly. You know, Lingard not playing dissimilarly. Loftus Cheek. Ashley Young. Ashley Young, yeah, Ashley Young definitely, Trippier definitely, but um, you know, with with the exception maybe of of Walker mm. nominally being a centre back, although aspects of what Walker does for this England side as a centre back work because of how he's used at Man City. So mm-hmm. he's kind of he's he's cherry picking the strengths of those players from how they yeah. set up at club and, and thinking how do I get that into one kind of mix that works mm. for an England team and it is working. Well, my final question before we talk uh, do a couple of predictions for the Senegal Japan game. You mentioned at the end of the game, Ashley Young was being interviewed. You said it's good uh, to have players like that there. I didn't ask you at the time, but I'll ask you now. What do you mean by that? I think it's good to have someone like Young because there is a level of experience there and experience in adversity. And I'd add Fabian Delft to this as well. Mm -hmm. You know, they are players who have looked like they're going to be really, really good when they're sort of, you know, early 20s or whatever. Mm. And then they've dropped off the radar a little bit and they've been with clubs that have struggled and towards the later stages of their career obviously might, you know, not much later for Young but Young is what probably 30, 31 something like that I think he is yeah. Delph's maybe a little bit younger you know they are now once again playing really well in new positions for them and I think that that sense of calmness that sense of having overcome adversity in where you don't you don't want it to be overwhelming, but to ha- in the rest of a team that are very young and enthusiastic, it's mm. good to have a couple of older, wiser heads. Mm. And you could see even in Young's post match, you know, there's just a, a fraction more calmness there and more assuredness there, mm. um, and I think that's helpful for squad balance. Yeah. Okay. Well, Japan Senegal are about to uh, kick up. Is it, well, it, the game's about to kick off. Um, we've made a video on Senegal today if you haven't watched that do go and check it out on YouTube it was uh, very enjoyable to make Um, uh, a word on this just a quick prediction and we'll come back and talk about the game after it's happened Philippe I'm going to kick things off with you because uh, we think it's a tasty affair don't we what do you think is going to be the result here I would go for 2-0 Senegal 2-0 Senegal okay Alex uh, exactly the same. Two nil Senegal. <coughs> That's what's in my spreadsheet. I've noticed that you're often just saying things that the person before you says. So I don't know. <laughs> I can open my spreadsheet and prove no, to you. I don't want to look at your spreadsheet. I can't imagine things. Many things more boring. <laughs> Looking at your an Alex Stewart spreadsheet. Um, I'm going to. I'm going to go with a crazy prediction, guys. You go for three on Japan, don't you? No, I'm going for one one. I think it's going to be a draw. I've got that for Poland Colombia. Well, that's a, dif- that's a different game, isn't it? It is a different. Okay, game. just checking. Just checking. Yeah. Uh, right, well, we'll come back and chat about it after it's happened, and we will then uh, do our predictions for uh, Poland and Colombia as well. That's the end of uh, Senegal, Japan. We have uh, Alex Stewart here with a little disappointed face on. You were hoping for a Senegal win. I was quite pleased with a, with a Japan draw. I think it makes the group more interesting. And there's also a chance that England might meet Japan in the round of 16, which is exciting. I have to say, uh, I had my head in my computer for most of this game. Um, but from listening to the commentary, 
it sounded like uh, the two halves sort of went in a similar similar way, Alex, that Senegal went a goal up and then perhaps sat off a little bit too much. Japan managed to get one back. Second half, the same thing happened. And actually towards, you know, the latter stages of the second half, it sounded like it was all Japan. Is that a fair, uh, a fair assessment? Um, hmm, I'm not sure if it was all Japan. Um, I mean, they... Two-thirds Japan. <laughs> yeah. what, what fraction should we go with? Oh, I don't know. Should we, should we go for three-fifths? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, Senegal always have the ability to counter-punch um, from that strong defensive shape that we talked about in the video. So I think just because a side dominates possession against Senegal doesn't make them necessarily any less dangerous. Well, I was, he- I was hear- hearing sort of uh, more chances going the Japan way, or at least certainly more chances that were more likely to be converted. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. Um, I mean, the, you know, the, the sides were sort of fairly, fairly similar. Um, goalkeeping error from each goalkeeper... Um, to allow a scoring opportunity that was taken, um, they obviously they, they played very different ways. I think there were um, Inui had a good game for Japan. Kazuki Honda made a difference creatively and with his ability to hold the ball and kind of roam out of mm. Senegal's issue was that that once, particularly once Honda was on, the 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 solidity of that Senegalese defensive shape meant they're possibly it's the, the one weakness is they're not quite as good at reacting to when players have a bit more mobility and are not playing in, in such a kind of an expected way. And, and once Honda and then latterly Okazaki were on, mm. they're both players that move very well between the lines and yeah. drift. Uh, Okazaki dropping deep, Honda drifting in. So, Well, it's also it's presumably very nice to be able to bring, I mean, albeit at 32... Your nation's top scorer on for the last twenty minutes of a game where you need a goal. Yeah, and and he's um, he's an interesting one because he's one of the ones who kind of fell out with the the previous coach, and also wasn't playing uh, over in Serie A for AC Milan, and so he's gone to Mexico, um, and has sort of had a resurgence off the back of that. So, I, I mean, if you're if you're your nation's top scorer and you're one of the the players from your country who's made a big impact abroad, you don't really have much to prove in that regard yeah. but at the same time coming off the bench he's a a very accomplished player but also I mm. think he's he's the sort of player who can in the latter stages of a game bring something to it that maybe when it gets a little more open mm. and uh, you know people are starting to get a bit tired and stuff that that can make a big difference I did say he was uh, Japan's top scorer um the stat I heard during the game was that he was the first Japanese player to score in three separate World Cups, so I might be wrong about the top score thing. I'm just going to have a look now uh, and see. No, he's not. He's quite far off. <laughs> Actually, Shinji Okazaki has more goals. Oh. Uh, Shinji Okazaki has 31 goals, so we were almost right uh, in that he also came on. Yes, um, I, I'm sure that's what you meant. Miura, 56 goals. Uh, he retired in... Oh, his last goal was in the year 2000. And Kamamoto had 40 goals. Uh, Honda 19, but there, there you go. First player, first Japanese player to score in three separate World Cups. I'm glad we got that one. Uh, otherwise, someone would have told me about it, and that's quite wrong, isn't it? 19 to 56. That's <laughs> quite wrong. Anyway, though, 32. We got that bit right. He is 32 years old, I think, uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, and uh, he scored a goal. Yes. Uh, so and- hold, hold, hold. 
Hey, hold your horses there. You're eager to go. But I want to ask you a more specific question about Senegal now. Okay. Because they have a good chance to progress from this group. Yeah. And it would be exciting to see them in the round of 16. They could meet England. They could meet Belgium. What do you rate their chances as? How do you think they can play? Um, I, I, I don't really rate their chances against either of those two sides. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... I think they're they're very good, obviously, as we've discussed, and we, we you know we we only tend to make videos about teams that are worth looking at, mm-hmm. and there's there's a you know that that defensive structure is really interesting. The way they made adjustments off the back of the Croatia friendly for the Poland game was interesting. Again, they made some adjustments here. They brought in Badu and Dai into the midfield to try and link with Niang a little bit more, keeping Sadio Mane out on the left, which makes sense. Mm. Uh, Sabali overlapping really well. Some defensive vulnerabilities exposed today by Japan. Um, I think the 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 goalkeeper is a defensive vulnerability in mm-hmm. in his judgment there, and there were a couple of times where you could see Kulabali basically taking the decision out of the goalkeeper's hands when the goalkeeper wanted to come for something. Yeah. But no, <coughs> I, I think by and large that that system held strong. I do just feel like. Against what is effectively a four-four-two, even a really well organised and uh, and good pressing four-four-two, sides that play three at the back and play very well between the lines will exploit that, and okay. Belgium and England both do that. Well, let's say the same for uh, Japan then, because now Japan also, um, and we were hearing from the commentary team during the game that. Uh, the Japanese public weren't expecting much from their team. Four points after two games, a very real possibility of uh, going through now. They have Poland left to play, which will be a tough game, of course. Um, but they've already beaten Colombia, albeit that red card. They performed very well in today's game. Uh, is it much of the same for Japan if they were to make it through, rate, rate their chances? Yeah, again, I, I mean, that, I've, I've been surprised by how well Japan have played Um I think Yoshida's played well at the back, uh, which, as a Southampton fan, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased about, but also mildly surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, Hasebi, we know, is a really good player from Eintracht Frankfurt, um, who just sits in front of that back four, yeah. tidies things up. Uh, I've been very impressed with uh, Shibazaki, who's mm-hmm. a player, I, I must confess, I didn't really know anything about before this World Cup, mm-hmm. um, who adds some, some creativity and some penetration with his forward runs. So you'll be buying him on Football Manager? <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, but it, it's difficult to see that there's, again, there's enough of the unexpected about Japan for them to be able to challenge sides mm. who uh, do have that. And, you know, Senegal would have won this game but for a goalkeeping howler. So I think... Although you could make the argument that the... Uh... Japanese keeper made a goalkeeping howler too for one of Senegal's goals. That's true, and 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 we we mentioned that earlier. I I just feel like Senegal had a lot more of the momentum at that point, and that there was kind of it was more that there was a goal coming. Mm. Whereas I sort of felt like Japan, while they may have controlled possession in the second half, it it just didn't feel like they've quite got that kind of dynamism. Well, what about game management from Senegal? I mean, we mentioned the idea earlier that each time they went up a goal, perhaps there wasn't the same impetus to carry on playing the same way and they were sitting back a little bit too much. Is that something that comes from a bit of a lack of experience of playing tournament football in the World Cup for that team? 
Possibly, yeah. And I think that's probably what, you know, Czech Coyote is, he's a very strong defensive midfielder generally. And, you know, we've seen him at West Ham. He he does have the ability to carry the ball forwards yeah. and, and break the lines. But there's, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say that it's necessarily a lack of, of game management. I, I do think Senegal tired of it. Mm. And I think the, the, the issue that they have is that they do press so intensively mm. that you can understand why games in a short period of time yeah that that, that starts to tell a little bit mm. um, particularly from the wide players mm. and it's sort of but then you know um, Wage got up really really well for his goal yeah. you know so he's bursting forwards from right back to get into that shooting position we do say that about teams that even in the Premier League though Tottenham are a good example Liverpool too that uh you, everyone sort of expects them by the end of the season to be exhausted because of the intensity of the way that they play. Um, obviously, in domestic football, for the most part, there are there is more time between games to to um, recover. Recover. <laughs> God, that took a long time. I think we need that. I was we? just thinking repair. For some reason, I was thinking repair. Mm. But um, and and often, often as well. Uh, people will say that that recovery time is you know the mark of a of a of a good athlete or at least one of those marks. So uh, expecting a team to be able to do that, playing every you know four or five days in a World Cup, depending on how far you're going to go, that is quite a big ask, isn't it? Do you think perhaps that's one of the other reasons why we haven't seen as many teams pressing because of the intensity that it takes? Yeah, probably, and and certainly pressing with the intensity of of Senegal. And I, I've just had a quick check. Japan had almost sixty percent possession in that mm. game, so. Senegal's pressing was being asked to do quite a lot. Yeah. Um, Senegal did dominate with shots and shots on target, though, mm. I mean, comfortably ahead of Japan, twice yeah. over twice as much. Okay. So Weird that I didn't hear those. Yeah. Maybe I was just paying more attention when Japan had the ball. Possibly. But I, I think that's that Japan did keep it quite well for, for sustained periods, and Senegal's shape... Keeping a shape like that, and it's the same argument with Iceland as well, mm. is that the the levels of concentration and communication required for that are themselves quite exhausting, and you're least well equipped to make decisions and to listen to stuff that's going on when you're physically knackered. Mm. Um, Senegal didn't make many changes ahead of this game, um, bringing in and die for Miram. Uh, Biram Diouf, Mama Biram Diouf, um, but that was their only change. So this is a team who've pressed the hell out of their first game mm. and are being asked to do it again four or five days later. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's it's not really a surprise that yeah. towards the end of that game they start to look a little ragged. Poland Colombia is coming up now. Um, a draw in this game wasn't the worst result uh, for the outcome of the game we're about to see. Both of those teams will still be hoping that if they can get a win today, they can progress through the tournament, or they still certainly have a chance of doing so. Um, it's a tough game to call, uh, but I'm going to ask you both to do it. Philippe, I'm going to start with you, because I imagine that Alex will want to say whatever it is that you've said after you've said <laughs> it. It'll be interesting to see Colombia with an actual full squad. Yeah. Of, within the vast majority of their last game, obviously they are playing with ten men. Yeah. Um, so we might be able to see what they're like a little bit more like, with a full force. Mm. Um, and Poland, Poland weren't that impressive in their first Poland, game, were they? Poland have uh, increased, but they're a slightly kind of older squad, right? Yeah. A little bit kind of slow and a bit more creaky. So I would pro- I'd probably go for a Columbia win myself. Okay. What's, what's your scoreline? Score well. I'm always really conservative with these, aren't I? Yeah. So I'll just 
throw one out there. Up a bit. I'm going to go for 3-1 Columbia. Hey, it's Joe's special yeah. score. <laughs> okay. Alex, what are you looking for here? Um, I think this could be a draw. Okay. Um, I think both sides, I mean, obviously both sides need to win. Whoever mm-hmm. whoever loses, this is definitely out. So a 3-1 draw. Um, so, yeah, 3-1 draw. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, one all. One all? Yeah. Do you know what I'm going for? You're going for a Poland 3-1. I'm going for... Um, I'm going for Poland, four two, four two. Oh my god! And I'm hoping it's going to be a real, a real cracker. Lewandowski is going to score all four goals, and Poland are going to be quite, quite poor. Uh, <laughs> Colombia are going to be the better team. Yeah, and they're going to score two first. Okay, possession stats. I think the possession stats are going to be ninety-one percent to uh, <laughs> both, both teams, nine percent to the touchline. You are the you are the Harry Houdini of football. <laughs> well, I think a four-two is a reasonable expectation for a World Cup game. Come on now, we haven't seen enough goals today. Uh, there's been an awful lot of goals today, hasn't there? There's there's now what been thirteen goals today? No, mm. that's too many. Not thirteen. Uh, Eleven. Eleven goals today in two games. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we go. Okay. Uh, we'll be back then, I suppose, after the Colombia-Poland game, uh, and we'll uh, have a little chat about that then. It's very hot here, You're, you're struggling a bit, aren't you? I am struggling. It's very warm in here, and when we podcast, we have to close the window and turn the fan off to keep our background noise to a minimum, so you'll uh, you'll understand if, uh, if we dwindle somewhat. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back in a little bit. Righty tighty that was the... What was that? Poland. <laughs> That's dearing me. Day 11. Day 11. Day 11. That was Poland versus Colombia. And Colombia won that game, didn't they? They won that game 3 0. I have to say, I didn't pay attention that much. Uh, and I'm sort of flagging now. But um, we figured that Phil was closest on the old uh, prediction round. And we decided for fun, as of tomorrow, we're going to uh, tally our predictions. Uh, well, I sort of decided because I won two of today, so I'm hoping <laughs> I can. Hoping I can get a repeat of that over the coming days and uh, just prove how, despite Alex knowing how teams might play, he hasn't got a knack for how they're going to finish. Not like me. Not like, uh, you know, when it's guts and gusto. Not when it comes from right in the middle of your uh, body. You know? I don't know what to ask you about this game. I'm tired. Okay. So why don't you just tell me how Colombia won? I do know what to ask you. Poland. (laughs) They weren't so good, were they? (laughs) No. Poland were bad, Colombia were good. All right, let's uh, chat tomorrow. <laughs> no, seriously though, Colombia, three so, goals. The last one from Cordado was actually very nice. Falcao yeah. got one as well. And the first one, James Rodriguez, lovely little uh, chip over the top for the header. Yeah. Um, much as we expected from them. And of course, the first game, Philippe mentioned beforehand that uh, they went down to ten men very early. So we haven't really been able to... We haven't really been able to see what we would have hoped from a Colombia team until this game, and we saw it, didn't we? Yeah, um, they they did they did a couple of interesting things. They they played Hammers uh, and Quintero together, mm-hmm. um, both really kind of playmakers, number tens, and those two were swapping between left and central quite a lot. Hammers mm-hmm. was also getting out to the right. Cuadrado much much more of a natural right winger yeah. and the Colombian left back Mojica was pushing up quite a lot mm. um, with Arias who is quite an attacking right back kind of tucking in a little bit more Yeah. so Colombia were slightly aping Poland's shape 
a little bit when they were going forwards. But because Falcao was a fairly kind of um, stable central focal point with Quintero and James buzzing around behind him, swapping over, making lovely little passes. I mean, some yeah. of Quintero's passes were, were sublime. Yeah. Um, it caused a fairly immobile Poland side who had stacked two very defensive midfielders um, in the centre uh, and and had kind of Bednarak as like the spare man in the back three. Yeah. They they just couldn't cope with that movement. Um, Poland, Let me ask you Poland about Poland. Really bad. Well, Poland more specifically, uh, we heard from the commentary team during the game, uh, or it might have been the pundits at halftime, without Lewandowski, uh, their assessment was that Poland are a very average team and that Lewandowski wasn't getting enough service to, to really uh, show what he can do. Is that a fair assessment of a Poland team, do you think? Is it, is, is it more than that? Well, Zelensky, who did start, and Lanetti, um, who didn't even make it on, are more creative players for Poland. Zelensky has not had a good tournament so far. Lanetti's barely played. So they are lacking something. In this game, particularly with um, Gorowski and Krakowiak in mm. central midfield, they were basically just looking to stop Colombia right. um, and relying on the front three uh, of Lewandowski, Zelensky and Kanaki to try and create something with a bit of width coming from the wing-backs. But Rybus looked really kind of one-paced against Senegal, partly mm. due to Senegal's pressing, but didn't really contribute a lot. And Berezinski didn't get forward enough. So yeah. Lewandowski was quite isolated. He had the very good moment where he brought that Long pass down, um, and Aspina saved well. He had a shot from distance as well. Yeah, but it, you know, it, Poland, that was sort of Poland's best threat, was mm. kind of really long, direct balls. It was like they'd, they'd sort of set up to have, you know, effectively seven men, well, seven plus a goalkeeper behind the ball. Yeah. And, and try and just get the ball very directly. And that, you know, Yeri Mina and um, Davison Sanchez are both strong capable centre backs so yeah. that seemed like a an odd kind of way of trying to play you'd, you'd think they would look to exploit the fact that Colombia do try and move the ball around and, and try and create little overloads to then find spaces themselves and they, they didn't do that at all Did the back three help much for Poland? No. Did the change from the last game? No, I don't think so mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think What do you think the reasons for that would have been? Uh, lack of pace and directness from the wing backs mm. really um, and the fact that, again, that the kind of the passing ability of that central back five, the two defensive midfielders uh, and the three centre backs, wasn't enough to build play from the back. Right. Okay. Um, there were a few comments throughout the game, um, focusing focusing on the Polish players. The commentators were saying, "Well, Novoka will probably get the um, you know get the blame for this." However, there was a lack of effort from Polish players, and they showed a few examples of this. Um, particularly defending where players weren't coming out to close down, where there was one moment, I think, at half-time, the pundits were talking about uh, Quadrado, Falcao and James Rodriguez were all out on the right-hand side and the Polish player for, from a corner and the Polish players weren't running out to close them down at all. Is it is it fair to say that? Because presumably, whatever system you choose to set up with, however you go out setting up the team up tactically, it doesn't make a difference if the players aren't going to um, put the effort in. Or is that reductive to say? I don't know. I, I My general vibe on that is that it's always reductive to say that players don't want it because 
you're representing your national side in a World Cup. But then what do, you, the, what, that, yeah, what do you say if defenders aren't r- running yeah. out to close down? I mean, this, I, this, I if there's is, no reason for it to be coached, then it must be either lack of awareness or lack of um, effort. I, yeah, and potentially the only excuse is that, that they are an oldish side yeah. and they were a bit leggy and they in were the trying to conserve energy. I don't know. It's like I say, I, I'm ordinarily very wary of saying that, but Poland did look so off the pace yeah. that you kind of have to wonder whether there was some sort of subplot. Well, maybe just a, a, a falling out with Navalka, a, right. a, a lack of belief in that switch to the back three. I mean, they have used a back three on occasion. Um, during qualification, so it's not a completely alien system to them. And the defence not knowing who's supposed to push and press when they've just changed to a new system is, is arguably more of a reason for lack of awareness than lack of effort. Yes, that's possibly true. I think the players will have looked at that selection as being very much a, a contain and try and counter if we can approach against, albeit a good Colombian side that we tipped to top the group, yeah. but you know, I think there was a real negativity in that selection, and some of the players may have looked at that and thought, "Well, he he doesn't think we can win. He thinks we can just yeah. sort of limit to a draw or or limit the damage." And that that might have had a bearing as well. I don't know. It's pure like, yeah. supposition about how players react to selections is kind of pointless. But well, going into Thursday, that's <clears> the uh, the final uh, third game in this group for both England's group Group G and Group H. Uh, Japan and Senegal are of course both on four points Colombia now have three points have a good chance of going through Colombia are going to play Senegal yes and Japan will be playing Poland Uh, how do you think it's going to shape up because any of those three teams could go through um, on you know on the current performance level you wouldn't put it past Japan getting a result against the Polish team who maybe will be playing for um, pride but obviously don't have that, don't have you know win doesn't mean anything for them. Whereas Senegal will be, as they were today, hoping to lock down what they might imagine would be a first place going through um, in Group H against Colombia, who will probably have a harder time breaking down Senegal. It's, it's tough to say, isn't it? Yeah, Colombia will definitely have a harder time breaking down Senegal than they did against Poland. Yeah. Japan will play against Poland the way they played against Senegal. Yeah. They'll look to hog possession. Yeah. Um, because a draw would be enough for them either way. I mean, if Japan yeah. can get a draw, one point, they'll be up to five. If Colombia win, they go through with Colombia. If Senegal win, they go through with Senegal. You can also see Japan looking <coughs> at, at that defensive performance from Poland and thinking, well, if we mm. keep the ball, they're not going to chase us around. No. We can just wait for yeah. the gaps to appear. Bring Honda on at the 70th minute, score a goal. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, Senegal, I think, will pose will definitely pose Colombia more of an issue. They'll be more attacking. They'll yeah. pin uh, the the Colombian fullbacks back a, li- a lot more. Mm. They'll they'll probably, I mean, uh, you know, Adressa Gay will give. James Rodriguez a much tougher time yeah. than, than any of the, the Polish midfielders did. Yeah. So it's a difficult one to call, but I can on momentum see Colombia pinching that one. Okay. And I think on current showing again, Japan should be fairly comfortable against Poland. Okay. Well, that, that would be, it'd be very interesting. Won't yeah. it? Well, I, I think, think we've, uh, we've, we've talked a little bit before a few times about teams that we've underestimated yeah. and, you know, as I've said before with our with our preview videos, yes, at the end we did kind of say what we thought about a team's chances, but um, 
I think we we definitely underestimated Russia, yeah. and I think it's fair to say we've underestimated Japan as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I th- and I, to be honest, though, it sounds like the Japanese public underestimated Japan as well. Many, everyone did, well, and, and everyone, it wasn't everyone, just us, everyone it wasn't underestimated Russia too. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not kind of self-flagellating and say, oh, we're, we're terrible. We got a load of stuff wrong, but mm. um, I think they are. They are two teams that have shown up and, and surprised with the way they've played. Mm. Well, before the tournament started, I think I think uh, the three of us in this room would have pegged the two groups, Group D and Group H, as the most interesting and most difficult to predict. Group D, of course, includes Nigeria, Iceland, Argentina, Croatia, uh, and Group H we've just spoken about. And it, it's nice to see they're both going down to the wire. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, we I mean we said that for for perhaps different reasons in the. Uh, with Group H, you had a number of teams where it wasn't immediately apparent who was going to be stronger mm. and who had different strengths and weaknesses. So I think it was it was certainly fair to say that. And Group D, our point, I think more was that Nigeria would probably be underestimated. Mm. Iceland would be incredibly hard to break down. Argentina could be amazing or terrible. Mm. Um, and Croatia have weaknesses as much as they have strengths. Mm. So again, I think that the reasons for saying that it might it might have sounded like we were sort of hedging our bets, but yeah. we had, I think we had good cause to to make that case, and we've been proved right. Okay, well uh, tomorrow uh, the first two games played uh, consecutively, oh, simultaneously, yeah, uh, is uh, Portugal Iran. And Spain, Morocco, is that correct? Uh, I think that the, the Group A will be first, Saudi Arabia, Egypt. Oh, OK. I don't know what's happening. So Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia Egypt and Russia... Russia versus Uruguay. Russia versus Uruguay. Uh, so to kick off our tallied predictions, folks, because we're not going to be recording a podcast until after that game, I'd like to hear from you both now what you expect to happen in those two games. Alex, I'm going to start with you this time, because I feel it's unfair to keep starting with Philippe. Yeah. Um, Let's go with Russia-Uruguay first, because that's the tougher one, I think. It's got to be a draw. I think... I kind of of see a Uruguay 1-0. Okay. Here. Okay. Um, Note it down, please, Philippe. Diego... Godin header, okay, 80th minute, 80th minute, wow, okay, <laughs> having with oh, Uruguay, Uruguay having kind of staved off waves of relentless Russian attack. Sure, okay, um, and Egypt, Saudi Arabia. I'm going to go for a, a nil nil. Okay, I'm going to say that's the first nil nil. I think that's a solid nil nil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Philippe, I'm going to hit you up now for those two. Uh, Russia, Uruguay. I'm going to go for two one Russia. Two one Russia. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go for 2-0 Egypt. Okay. Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. I like Alex's 0-0 on, uh, on Saudi Arabia, Egypt, but I think well, Egypt been, have enough. There's been stuff about Mo Salah falling out with the team because of this photo opportunity with some... Um, some oh, the, Chech- the Chechnya. The well, I think, I think he accepted a um, yeah something like a key to the city or something, an honorary, mm. honorary, honorary citizen and, and of And a lot's been made of it. He feels let down, so he might... I mean, Mo Salah's not the kind of guy to just go, ah, fuck it for a game. Yeah, but, but, but that's why I think I'm going to go 1-0 Egypt right. in that game. I think Mo Salah will score again, if he okay. plays. Final? That's 1-0, yeah. yeah. Did you just ask me for my final answer, like on the, yeah. do, you, do you want to be a millionaire? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do a very good Chris Tarrant, Philippe. Um, okay, and the other game is Russia. 
versus Uruguay. Yeah. Guys, I'm going to have to get my balls out on the table for this <laughs> one. I really am. You're going to go 3-1 Russia. I think Russia are going to get their balls out on the table as well. I think it's going to be 4-1. Oh, I think it is going to be 4-1. Okay, so, so you, do, do, you, do, reckon, do, you reckon that Atletico's central defensive partnership is going to ship four goals I think it is. for the first time in oh, like Yeah, but this is Russia, years. in Russia, guys. Okay. And we've seen nothing like this ever before. Okay. Okay, and Philippe, what was your... You said 2-1 to Russia, didn't you? I did, yeah. So what we'll need, uh, listeners will be interested to know, that what we'll, what we'll be doing, uh, rather than having any sort of sensible rules set out beforehand, <laughs> uh, we'll be sort of having a gentleman's discussion and agreement. So let's say, for example, that Russia won 3-1. Mm. You and I, Philippe, would have to decide between ourselves who, who wins that. And it might be based on performance... Does, does Alex not get a say in that as well? Well, no, because I predicted a Uruguay win. So, oh, but, well, Alex, oh, I can, Alex will I be can... part of the conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, actually, <laughs> but, 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 to be fair, we also be aware of grudges. At no, this no, point, no. Because, to be, uh, to yeah. be a fair, in the event of a tiebreak between no, no, two no, no, people, no, 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 surely no, but, the third but, person. There's no kangaroo court here, my friend. We all be... decide this is a democracy because otherwise. We get to the final stages. Yeah, I'm, you know, neck and neck with you. Let's say. Yeah. Um, Philippe's, oh. Philippe's off in the distance. He, you know, way behind. He's way behind. Yeah. Right? And uh, you could ward me a point yeah. that would make me winner. Yeah. And you it's would give like it to you Philippe. Saw my plan. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So no, we all discuss it together. It might come down to a vote, and I hope that we'll all be gentlemen about it. it. And if we can't agree, yeah, then maybe we'll have to ask the listeners. I think performance. Let's say it is three-one to Russia. Yeah. Right. But Russia have a stormer and they miss like three or four chances that they could have scored. Then it, then it we could might be a four, say yeah. that's a four-one. Or, or in the event, maybe of a saved penalty. A saved penalty, the, the difference or something. Let's yeah. say it, it's it's a very evenly fought game, or Uruguay are on top the whole game. Russia steal two. It's clearly it's clearly a two-one. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, oh, I think, still three. I think we yeah. can we can work that out. Okay, we're all gentlemen here, aren't we? Yeah. I'm excited. We've still got a couple more fixtures. We can do, we going to do those tomorrow. Uh, we'll do those tomorrow because we'll be podcasting before. And uh, I might want to do some research homework uh, tomorrow morning, tonight, you know, to... I'm just joking. Just say whatever the opposite of what I'm saying is. Yeah, that does, it is useful. be fine. I'm going to go last every time, yeah. uh, because mine matter the least, let's be honest. Uh, okay, well, that is the end of day 11. We'll be back tomorrow for day 12 um, to talk about the four games uh, happening simultaneously and try and work out how to watch them all at the same time. <laughs>